much for your word. Your word is a lamp, a light, and it's the strength of my life. Jesus and the word are one. So I thank you, Father, tonight. I give you my ears, my eyes, my heart, and my mind. And I boldly declare that tonight I will be changed by the word of God in Jesus' name. Tell somebody I'm going to be changed by the word of God tonight. Praise God. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Got a great word for you as we continue uh, our title, which is called, uh, well, they called it not just another book. Uh, I call it Bible, the Mystery, Mystery Revealed. I want to highly encourage you that if you were not here Sunday, to get go online and look at the video from Sunday. Incredible. And again, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about some revelation stuff God gave me uh, about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be concentrating a lot on the Holy Spirit because there's two things the Lord's been saying to me, and that's Holy Spirit and money. Money, of all things, money. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm just obeying what God says. And I mean, I've been tithing an awful long time, but and I'll, I'll just tell you some stories that uh, we have a, a, I mean, a tiny lake place, about 600 square feet, uh, that I got back when, when I needed some time to be alone and pray. And uh, Judy has come up, uh, and she has helped me restore that. And we had to have some trees taken down. There's this thing called an ash borer beetle, and it's killing ash trees. And once they're dead, you know, I don't want them falling on the house. So I had to have eight trees taken down. And, um, and then uh, we had to do some stuff, and, and you know, money's tight. And so <laughs> Judy's upstairs in my office. I moved my office upstairs, and I said, I'm not going to have my business office and my study office in the same office. I'll put the business stuff downstairs. Like when I leave here tonight, I'll be up who knows how late in the morning hours studying. And uh, she said, I, I borrowed $20 out of your envelope upstairs in the drawer. And I go, what envelope upstairs in the drawer? There was $850 in an envelope upstairs in a drawer. And honestly, I, I'm trying to think. It may have been Christmas. I don't know what it was. But there's the money to pay for the trees. That's how God works. Another time um, we were, uh, I don't know what, we, I was cleaning up something, and Judy had given me one of these accordion. I've used an envelope system. I put money aside for bills at the end. And it's a, like a little accordion envelope thing, and I used to keep it in there. And I stopped using it. I started using regular envelopes. And I, so I'm, I'm, getting, I'm cleaning my office out. This was about two years ago. And I finally say, I should just throw it. So I open it up, and in one of the slots called taxes was $3,000. God's good. Hallelujah. Put your hands out to me. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word because your word is so great. And I thank you, Lord. Jesus and the word are one. So we love you. And Father, I ask you to anoint me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that all that time in tongues and prayer and study, Lord, is going to pay off as I speak your truth through your heart, through my lips, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, uh, remember the trucks outside, if you have aluminum cans, I told people, I don't care what you, your aluminum cans are, get thrown back there, and sure enough, I've seen a lot of beer cans out there, and that's okay. <laughs> we know they're not yours. Hey, nothing wrong if it's, uh, you know, oh, crazy. Amen? Amen. So we started talking about the Bible, literally the Bible. And the more I, I realized that how important the study is, John 1 says, in the beginning was the... And the word was with God, and the word, and this is what? This is a word. 
if you love Jesus, you've got to love the Word because Jesus and the Word are one. And, you know, I, I started doing something really cool. I went in the Bible, and anywhere where it says the Word, I put in the word Jesus, and it's really, read it sometime. The word Jesus is profitable for correction that's in the Bible. It says uh, the word Jesus is powerful and, and, and quicker than it, and more sharp than it, Jesus. So the word of God is so important. And we started studying, and, we, and I told you that this interesting statistics, and it's very poor, is that most Christians, believe it or not, the majority of Christians do not read their Bible on a regular basis. I want to correct something right off the bat. There's a scripture in the Word of God that says, study to show yourself approved. Remember that in the Word of God? That you may be able to get... That's not written for the everyday person. That was, a, uh, uh, that was an exhortation written by Paul to Timothy, who was a pastor at the church at Ephesus. However, you're still responsible for reading your Bibles. How, you want to get to know... How many want to get to know, know Jesus? Well, if Jesus and the Word are one, then he gave us the Word to get to know him. And then the other statistic was is that uh, 40% of Christians do not believe that the Bible is totally true. That's sad. I hope you believe that the Word of God is true. So Jesus, again, is referred in John 1 as the Word. Jesus, the Word of God, said that he is the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God. And how do I do that? How do I seek the kingdom of God? It's in here. This is the instruction manual. This is the way God thinks. This is the way God lives. This is the way God acts. This is the way God reacts. We're to learn kingdom principles, and they're written in the Word of God. So how can you ever come to understand kingdom of God if you don't read your Bible, which explains the principles of the kingdom? And how can you use the most powerful weapon you possess, which is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When something attacks you, Christians, we've got to learn to speak the word back. If you're fearful, speak the word back against fear. If you're in financial lack, speak the word back. But how do you know what to speak if you don't know the word? I found that I've learned to memorize a lot of scriptures only because I've used them in spiritual warfare. When so, that's what Jesus did, right? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but they, by every word, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where's that? Here's the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You don't live by what you ate for breakfast and lunch and dinner alone. You live, your spirit man lives by partaking of this bread, which is the word of God. If we could get an x-ray of your spirit man, you know, I like to think my spirit man is, not, hey, I'm a little spirit man. What kind of spirit man do you have? It depends on what you're feeding him. And I told you that my goal for teaching on the Bible literally is threefold. One, that you come to believe that what God asks us to believe, that you will believe. That the Bible is accurate, it is truthful, and it is the Word of God. Number two, that it is written by our God, about our God, the character and nature, who He is, what He considers right or wrong, and how He views us and how He wants us to live. And number three, that you will develop an insatiable appetite or desire the word of God. You know what I did this week? After I taught this on last Friday, I went to Hackman's. And I made sure that I had every version of the Bible. So I found I didn't have two versions, and I bought them. I bought a New American Standard, and I bought the, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And I've been reading them. 
So that we have no excuse. This is the day when knowledge shall abound. So why not read the word of God? And read it, if you didn't understand in King James, <clears throat> read it in, an, in a translation where you can understand it. So let's start up. First of all, the word of God is not a how-to book. It's a what-is book. It's not a how-to book. It is, but it's mostly this is a what-is book. And the Bible says in four different places this very basic foundational truth. The just shall live by faith. Say that. The just shall live by faith. Another translation puts it this way. The just shall live a life of faith. There's a great woman of God that I met who's spoken here a couple times years ago by the name of Verna Tompkins. Anybody know who she was? But she used to say, Pastor Jim, you should always be standing in faith for something. Your faith always needs to be activated. And the best way you can activate that faith is find a weakness in your life and find a scripture that applies to that and then just keep repeating it. In other words, if you deal with depression, get in the word of God. If you deal with fear, get in the word of God. If you're having a relationship problem, get in the word of God and stand on that word and confess it and say it and say it and say it till it gets from here down into your heart. You'll end up memorizing it. And when that devil tries to come back and harass you with that, you just give him a good smack on the side of the head by using that word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Amen? So we're to live the life of faith. But faith in what? Faith in what? What am I supposed to have faith in? What am I supposed to believe in? Ready? Whether I see it or not. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You may not see something in your life, but this is a great opportunity to exercise your faith by seeing it in the spirit realm. When you're sowing in the spirit realm, it's going to manifest in the natural. What are you believing for? A mate? Are you believing for a house? Are you believing for to pay a bill? Are you believing to be healed of something? Then you have to find that scripture and you have to give it life. How? By speaking what the word of God says. I thank you, Father God, that your word says that the chastisement for my peace was upon Jesus and by his stripes I am healed. When you keep saying that, that is going to have a physical effect. It's going to go from the spirit realm into the physical realm. They've already proven they can take people with cancer. And again, they changed their diet and they put them in a place where they're speaking positive and hopefully the word of God over their lives and their body begins to change. Listen, you have to tell your body, you're in charge. My spirit man is in charge, not my physical man. I'm giving my physical man, you're, you're taking a demotion, and my spirit man, he's going to start eating. He's going to start taking the vitamins by reading the word of God, and he's going to defeat the enemy in my life. Amen? So as a Christian, as believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I have to believe for a fact and never question that Jesus is Lord. That the Lord, he is God. Say that the Lord, he is God. And we're supposed to believe without question who he is and what he says. And how do I know who he is and what he says if I, and what he's like? And what does he believe is right or wrong? What does he expect of me if I don't read the Bible? You're going to get that information from somewhere. 
What does God expect of me? Well, I can listen to somebody on the radio, or I can look, listen to somebody on the news, or I can try to decide for myself, my own man-made religion, what I think God expects from me. But I don't want to stand before God and say, I, didn't want, I never asked you to do that. There's a very, scripture, very scary scripture in the Bible that's, that basically, right after it talks about house and a rock, these people are saying to Jesus, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and Jesus said, I never knew you. Well, how, because you never asked me what I wanted you to do. You never read the word about what I want you to do. Each of you. Judy's going to have a great word for December, so I'm not going to give it away. Which you, she starts studying now for like February, so she's preparing a message, and, and um, I don't want to give it away, but I'm just going to tell you this. Your fingerprints are not duplicated by anyone else. Get alone sometime and realize that you are the only one that God designed to be you. They always say we have like a twin, but we're not. You won't, you won't have a twin. Your retina scan's going to be different. Your fingerprints will be different. Your voice scan will be different. You have been uniquely made by God for a specific reason. And we need to know what God wants us to do. We need to read the word of God. So we need to understand this very basic truth that is that is that do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Because we come here week after week and we hear teachings and preachings, whether it's me or somebody else, and we talk about God, we talk about the issues of life, and whether the message is for me or other men of God, it's going to be based on the word of God. It's going to be based on the Bible. Now, I remember somebody calling. They said, you know, what, what is this thing on your... I guess we used to advertise in the newspaper, uh, preaching the uncompromised word of God. What the heck does that mean? Does that mean everybody else isn't? I said, I don't know what everybody else is doing. I'm not going to compromise what the word of God says. If the word of God says this, I'm not going to change it. This is what the word of God says. Now, we re refer each week to this term, word of God. Yet no matter what you hear, if you don't believe in the book as the word of God, you're not going to live it. And you're nor are you going to walk in the faith that, require, that God requires of us. You all have faith. Do you know that? You got in your car and you had no doubt that it was going to start, I think. And you made it here. And I think there's no doubt in your mind that, you know, if you go to work tomorrow, you're going to go to work. You're not even thinking about it. You, you get it. You go home and you turn that faucet on. I don't think you fall on, maybe some of you do, fall on your knees. Oh, God, please let the water come out. You just, you, your faith knows that when you turn that water on, water's going to come out. And you've got to get to that point with the word of God. You've got to believe what God says. So if the angel of the Lord encamp about them that fear him to deliver me, then what should I fear? I love this scripture. It says, I will say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can you do to me? I guess I'm getting at the age where I really don't care what you think of me. I hope you like me, but I don't really care. Man, I've been torn apart. I hate Facebook. No offense, but man, I never saw gossip travel as fast as it does. I'm sure it has a value, and praise God, but, but man. But you know what? It doesn't matter what people say about you or about me. Amen? And do you know why most Christians are awkward and silent about sharing their faith? I'll give you an example. I read a book once. It was really good. It was about the zone diet. That was a long time ago. 
I was so excited I couldn't wait to tell her about this diet because I lost 20 pounds. Of course, I gained it all back, but... And that time, it changed my life for a time. Have you ever read something like that or done something and you're really excited about it? And, and, and I went, or I went to a certain movie and I thought the movie was so great, it was tremendous, and it affected my life and I couldn't wait to tell everybody about that movie and how it affected me and how it could affect your life. So my question is, why aren't more Christians excited about the things of God? I often hear people say, do you remember when you were first born again, you were excited and everything? I don't think I was. I just, you know, I received Jesus and probably because I was in the scientific medical field and, you know, you didn't get emotional about stuff. It, but it changed my life. And after a while, it, I just saw the changes. and I got excited. I couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. So why is it a chore to talk about, to God, I mean, to talk to others about the Christian life? It's because maybe your life hasn't changed. To me, the success of a church is changed lives. And I'm sure every one of you could stand up and tell me something in your life that was going on before that has changed for better or for good. And a lot of times people's lives aren't changed because they haven't read the book. They have not discovered the life-changing truths about God and his plan. God has a great plan for your life. And they haven't reaped the benefits and the joys of discovering it and living its principles. Jesus called, called this work, caused the truth and the word of God treasure. Gemstones, gold, silver. The wisdom that's in the word. I think I said this last week. It says... The kingdom of heaven is likened unto. In other words, this is the way God thinks. This is the way it is. It's like a man who finds a treasure hidden in the field. Remember I told you this? And he sells everything that he has to buy that field. Why? Because everything that he sold and gave up is going to be a lot less worth, I should say, than what he's about to discover in that field. And that's what the Bible is. If you think life is good, it can be better. If we can get to the point where we're not going to worry about the government or worry about what's going on around the world or what's going on in this country, you get to the point where I understand it. It's going all according to plan. God isn't happy about it. We screwed it up. And God said he's going to let it go so far and then, all right, time's up. And I'm out of here. I hope you're going with me. And then all hell's really going to break loose. But we're living in perilous times. But that's what the word of God says. So I know because I read the word that what is happening is supposed to happen. Do you understand that? Everything that's going on is supposed to be going on. Things will grow worse and worse. But the church is being formed and strengthened and it's going to be taken out of here without spot or wrinkle. Which means we're being perfected. And I hope we get to the point where people, when they think about Christians, are going to go, wow, I want, I want what they've got. Not like, I've got to go to church, or I've got to read my Bible, whatever. Every week, we open up the Bible, and we teach its truths. And each week, we hold out our Bibles. I'm going to start doing that more. Lift your Bible over your head, you're like me. <laughs> and we proclaim it as a truth, God's word. 
But like the title says, it's not just another book. It wasn't written in a year or two. It's written over centuries. It's the wisdom of God. And these words that are written in here, when they're spoken, they're alive. Somebody once said, the word wiggles. It's alive. And it's powerful. We need to understand it, guys. When you speak the word of God out, it's powerful. It's doing things. When you speak that word over yourself, it's doing things. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like a laser. When you speak that word of God and you hear it, it goes down inside and it begins to rearrange things. It separates and it, it puts in order things that are out of order. The biggest thing in my life was understanding who Father God is. It had, the order had to change. And I had to speak the word about my father. Around the world, people died for what you have lying around in your home. They die for it. That thing that's laying in the back of your car or in your office or on the coffee table, it's just a mere book. It's not. It's the word of truth. Most high God. I, I don't remember what the, it was like an animated series way back when on Christian TV, and it always started out with the Bible opening up and this beam of light shooting out. And that's how powerful that is. If we could get that understanding in our brains, hallelujah. All we believe, all that we stand for, all that we try to live for day after day as a Christian is written in this book called the Bible. And if you don't believe it, and if you don't bother to take the time to read it or apply its truths to your life, then what is the map for God for your life? Remember the days before GPSs? We're talking about somebody, actually we had a visitor Sunday that knew me from Faith Fellowship, and uh, he, he was uh, from Brooklyn, and he worked, he lives in New Jersey now, and uh, he was talking about he still likes to use maps. Remember map? What do you get maps anymore? You just go to the gas station, pay a quarter, and you get a map. Well, you have a map. You need a map for your life. There's nothing worse than going 100 miles to go somewhere, but you don't know where you're going. How do you measure your success? How do you measure where you're going to if you don't measure it by this? Man, it took me a long time to figure out that scripture. I hope I got it right this time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Is that it? and a light into my path. I go, lamp into my feet. Well, the word of God, when you think about it, when I walk my dogs tonight, we go out, we have a problem with animals in our yard. We have bears and skunks and raccoons, and they're nasty. So I always go out with a flashlight to watch where I'm walking. Plus, I don't want to step in anything. So, <laughs> so, so I'm walking, and that, that light is, is directing my steps. But if I turn on lights, we have overhead lights, if I had low-voltage lighting around my yard, it, that's the light of the path. And that's what the Word of God does. It's showing you day-by-day, step-by-step how to walk. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. Acknowledge God in all thy ways, and he will what? He's going to direct your path, direct your steps. So he's going to direct. That's what that light is, the Word. I know what the Word of God says. Word of God says, you know, you don't want to do this. Word of God says you want to do this, and he's directing my steps. And yet, there's a path. As I read the Word of God, a great path verse is that God knows the plans that he has for us. They're plans for our good and our welfare. 
not for evil or for our harm, to give us a hope for our future. That's a lit path. I can have hope in my future. If I were to die tomorrow, I'm going to heaven. And I know that God's here with me. Amen? So I have to take the time to read it and apply its truth because it's a map or a guide for my life. And how do you determine right from wrong? You know, in the back of courts, they used to have the Ten Commandments. That's a basic right from wrong. But we're living in a very confused society that doesn't quite understand what is right or what is wrong. I've heard some of the most stupid things that people say. It's like, wow, we've gotten so crazy and nuts. They're saying you can't call somebody he or she. I don't. What do they call them? They? they, they I mean, come on. Some of the things that, that are just they're so asinine. They don't make any sense to me anymore. So I have. I need. I need something to help me understand the difference between right or wrong, and that's what the Bible does. The David in the Bible is a factual historical figure. He he was real. You got to read some old history books that are truthful anymore and find out that David was a real king. He said in Psalm 119, verse 105, again, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He also said in Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible sets boundaries. And I'm, thank God, when I screw up and I break a boundary, the grace of God, and thank God I know that verse, that I can approach the throne of grace with boldness in time of need, and he forgives me. But the, the Bible sets boundaries. So you can feel good that I did this or I didn't do that, and when I do screw up, at least I know enough to get on my face and say, God, forgive me because I did screw up. But, screw up. but, but how would you know that you did if you don't know what's right and you don't know what's wrong? How do you determine what's right and what's wrong? Today, a very vocal minority is trying to tell you what's right. I've come to realize that I don't read a newspaper, but a lot of times if I listen to news, I read a newspaper, I'm realizing that that may be a skewed report. It may not be true. Do you know how easy it is to defame a person? Somebody could write a bad article about me or whatever. There was one time somebody actually had a blog site against me saying things. I had a good attorney. He said, you know what? Do you realize if somebody says something about you on Facebook and if you are a public figure like me and it affects your ability to operate in your job, you can sue for libel. And you can get a lot of money. And I said, I'm like, I don't do that. I'd probably be rich. <laughs> anyway. So Jesus warned us about final judgment. The final judgment, the scariest statement he makes to the one he rejects is this. I never knew you. In the beginning was the, and the word was, was with God. The word is God. The word, Jesus. Jesus and the word are one. This is becoming so real to me. I get to know Jesus. I'm so happy that I can say, Lord, I know you. I know your character. I know your nature because this is you. The word and Jesus are the one, are one. 
So if you want to know Jesus, you read the word. And because I know the word, I know Jesus. I know his character. I know his nature. I know who he is. Because you never took the time to get to know me. I hate to have Jesus say that about anybody. You followed what seemed to be a fable. See, a lot of people don't believe God is real. They go to church, and maybe they come, maybe they don't. And, you know, the kids have stuff going, and that's more important. It, it, that really hurts me because we're training our kids that something else is more important than going to church. In other words, we're training kids that this is more important than getting to know God. My daughter used to aid in a Christian school up until recently. And she said, Dad, now she's in more of a public type setting. And she said, Dad, I cannot believe the difference between the public setting and the Christian setting. They're not allowed to talk about God. These kids know nothing about God. They don't go to church. They go to sport events. They practice whatever. There's no Bible in the house. Mom and dad, the only time they hear Jesus Christ is when it's a curse word. They know nothing about God. And Jamie said, Dad, it's scary that there's a whole generation that doesn't even know God. And the way they're going to get to know him is when they go to church, when we get the Bible. When we, I hope you read the Bible to your kids. We, got the, we have to get to know Jesus. So why don't people take the book more seriously? Because most people say they don't understand it or it's boring. And you need to change that attitude. And that's why I'm teaching more on the Bible. First of all, what is this book we call the Bible? It is a book divided into two parts. The old and the new. The old and the new. Old means it's old. New means it replaced the old. If you get a new car, it's probably because you got rid of the old one. Right? Or if you have old clothes and you get new clothes, what are you going to wear? Probably the new clothes. The new replaces the old. You've got to understand that. Because I have people, guys, friends in ministry that, well, I don't eat this and I don't do that because it says this and a little bit of this. That's Old Testament. The New Testament replaces it. So it's divided into two parts. The Old Testament, New Testament. Simply put, the books written before Jesus and those that are after Jesus. But you want to know something? Actually, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are actually Old Testament books. You realize that? But because they're talking about Jesus, they're in the New Testament. But the New Testament does not begin till Jesus comes up out of the grave. So that would start really New Testament what book? The book of Acts. But we'll keep the Gospels, the Synoptic, and John in the New Testament. So the New Testament begins after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, we have four Gospels occurring under the Old Testament again, but they tell us about Jesus, and so we include them in the New Testament, or, here's a better word, New Covenant. Old Covenant, New Covenant. New Covenant replaces the Old Covenant. You can't fulfill what the Old Covenant asks us to do. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to change the word, I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it for us. Amen? Remember last week I told you that some of the New Testament, I'm sorry, some of the King James words, they didn't know how to give them meaning until they started finding, if you guys that weren't here, they found in the garbage dump some writings in the same Greek tense that the New Testament was written, 
So there were words, oh, look. And one of those words was found in business receipts where they would stamp them paid in full. And it was the same word as we call, and Jesus uh, said on the cross, and they, they translated it in the higher or more elite Greek, which was wrong, it is finished, it actually means paid in full. Paid in full. So Jesus paid in full all that was required for us to do in the Old Testament. So we have an old covenant and a new covenant. And so we are under the new covenant, which we're about to celebrate when we come to the table. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are factual, historic books. They're real. And the question is this. Are they... Are what they talk about real or just folklore or rambling of some religious fanatics? They're written over thousands of years. They're essentially historic accounts about God and his people. And God reveals to us his character and his nature, his reactions, his actions. How? By the involvement of him in the lives of people and in families. And a lot of people have a misunderstanding about God because it looks like a real nasty, angry God. Wipe them out! But you've got to understand the history of the time. There are people with marital problems. There are people there with children problems, political problems, people who sin just like people today. Remember how Pastor Jim always says, people's is people's. You can put them in a different time in history. You can change their clothes. But peoples are still peoples. They're still the same. And since I, belace, I base my belief on the character and nature of our God, according to these accounts, can we really take this book literally and believe that these accounts are true? Can I believe what I read is truth in the Bible? And here's the cool thing. A couple points. Number one, archaeology has found and will continue to find that biblical accounts are true. You ever read the findings about Sodom and Gomorrah? The walls did not fall over. They said if you if walls you'd be walking through rubble and it was no there was no rubble. The walls were pushed down. Isn't that incredible? Something happened and the elements were melted together as if a nuclear reaction had taken place. A nuclear bomb was dropped on. Sodom and Gomorrah is a real place. And something happened that they can't explain. But those that are anti-God have a way of suppressing that information. But it's true. Archaeology is one of the greatest supporters of biblical accuracy. The cities, the kings, the leaders, the events are true by other historic accounts that have been found. Even in the New Testament. Josephus, the writings of Josephus, talk about Jesus. Number two, one of the strongest evidences of divine inspiration of the Bible is the testimony of fulfilled prophecy. Man, I think like 99% of biblical prophecy has been fulfilled. Other religious scriptures contain a small number of vague predictions, most of which have failed. Other religious scriptures, not the Bible. In the Bible, in this Bible, our Bible, there are more than 600 direct references to prophecy and prophets. 27% 20%, 27% of the entire Bible contains prophetic material, and most of which has come true, and some yet remain to be fulfilled. 
Only four of the 66 books of the Bible are without prophecy. And that's Ruth, Song of Solomon, Philemon, and 3 John. And Jesus warns us about ignoring the prophecies of the Bible. Luke 24, verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, if there's anything that really helped me to really believe in the Bible, it's when you go back and you study, like in Daniel, how they predicted kingdoms that weren't even there yet that are now gone. Now, even though this book was written over thousands of years by different authors, Jesus Christ always remains the theme. It's the heart of the theme. It's called the scarlet thread. The entire Bible is Christological. It's based on Jesus Christ. Christ is present in all 66 books of the Bible, even though 39 were written before he even was born. One of the definite texts on biblical prophecy is Dr. Baton Payne, Encyclopedia of Biblical, Pro Biblical Prophecy. Go to Bible's bookstore, find it. Dr. Baton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. Listen, he identifies 8,352 predictive verses in the Bible. Out of 23,210 verses, 600,641 contain predictive material. That's 27%. In the New Testament, there are 7,914 verses. I know you're all writing this down. <laughs> 1,711 contain predictive material. That's 21%. To me, someone would have to be pretty stupid to jeopardize the validity of their work by putting in so many predictions. Why would you risk putting in predictions and they don't come to pass over all these centuries and that would invalidate your work? Because if one didn't come to pass, what would you think about the others? Here's what's cool about the Bible. They've all come into pass. Now, some of these predictions are about the coming of Jesus. And a lot are about future geopolitical events. In the last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Earthquakes in various places, catastrophes, we see that taking place. For example... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and others all predicted future events in vivid detail, including the rise and fall of every major world empire which left its mark on the Middle East. Daniel alone predicted the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. They weren't even existing, and he predicted them. Found out on the, I see myself on a screen. I'm doing this a lot. I don't know where I got that from. The Old Testament also predicted any detailed facts about a coming Messiah. Was it coincidence? Or did Jesus and his disciples just follow the prophecies? Keep in mind that most of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. Okay? That would be possible if it just involved them but it involved everyone and everything around them at that time. For example, how could someone arrange to be born in a specific family? The Bible predicted where Jesus and to whom he would be born. How do, you, how do you arrange that? You're not even born yet. How does someone arrange to be born in a stable? 
How does someone arrange in advance to have his parents give birth to him in a specific city which is not their own? They weren't from Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth. Not here, Nazareth, you know, over in Israel. How does one plan to be considered a prophet? How does one orchestrate his own death in the company of two criminals? Because that's all predicted in the Bible. He would be crucified between two male factors. How do you arrange that? How do you arrange for the executioners to gamble for your clothes? How do you, listen to this one, how do you be killed by a, how do you predict being killed by a method of execution not even invented yet? It's predicted he would be crucified. He'd be hung on a tree. They didn't crucify people back when this was written. How do you predict your, how do you predict your execution with something that wasn't invented yet? How do you predict that you would be betrayed for a specific amount of money? That's in the Old Testament. How do you predict having your executioners carry out their regular practice of breaking the legs of two victims on either side of him, but not his own? Because it said in the Old Testament, his, he, not one bone would be broken. How do, you predict, how, do you, how do you live a life and live that prediction? The Bible's real, guys. Finally, how does one prearrange to rise from the dead and appear to over 500 people? At once. And I'll just end it with this because we're going to do our communion. And I'll just whet your appetite. How, number three, the Bible's real. We can also take for granted the scientific accuracy of things not yet understood and discovered that are mentioned in the Bible. Man, I studied this. There are things in the Bible they knew nothing about then that we now have proven scientifically. They thought the world was flat, yet the Bible said it was round. They thought that the sun, that the earth, that the sun revolved around the earth, right? But the Bible says that the earth revolved around the sun. I'll show you that next week. Cool, huh? Kind of give you a lot of facts and figures, but I'm trying to try trying to show you that the Bible's worth reading. Amen? Praise God. All right, we're going to go to the table. Do something Jesus has asked us to do. So I'd like those administering communion to come forward. If you are a Christian, what does that mean? You believe that Jesus died for your sin. Now the Bible's very, very plain about this. That if you don't rightly discern the body, it says many sleep. That means they died. 